0: I was just like, this isn't a hobby. We have to shift society dramatically for change. This isn't going to be done if everyone just treats the world as a hobby.
1: Podcast Junkies, episode 217. Welcome back. First off, top of mind for everyone is what's going on with COVID and safety and self-quarantine, and social distancing, and new terms that we never had a a use for or known about as of maybe a month ago or six months ago, but wow, how dramatically things have changed over the past week, even just in between episodes. I was still at at PodFest as of like 10 days ago, I think it was less than two weeks. And so just to think about even being in a crowd of like 2000 people is so crazy what the new normal is. So I hope you all listening are okay and safe. And uh, obviously, all podcasters are thinking about what they should be doing in terms of content. Um, Also, in case you hear music in the background, (laughs) it's playing in the living room. And I was about to turn it off. And I'm like, it's, it's a, a new, a new, uh, new way of doing things right now. <laughs> and everyone's chilling and relaxing. So, um, there's some music in the background if you hear that, uh, for Sunday. Anyways, um, yeah, I hope everyone that's listening is safe and healthy and that your loved ones and family are safe and healthy. And, uh, we're all trying to do what we can do to get us through what is going to be, at the very least, another month of this, maybe three, maybe six, like we don't even know, and that's what's interesting. And so I thought the best thing was to just uh, come on here uh, continue to record and, and put out uh, episodes as a way to honor the conversations I've had already that I recorded before and, and a couple more that I'm looking to record coming up, so... I think we do need to tell stories um, and get people more engaged with podcasting, and, and that's our superpower as podcasters, for those of you that are, and I hope you keep on doing it. And just obviously uh, add some context so that you're not appearing <laughs> tone deaf or immune to everything that's happening out there. I think that's the best course of action. This episode's brought to you by Focus Right. There's a fantastic sponsorship happening this month. Focusrite has launched the podcast studio makeover and it's running from March 6th through April 17th. This is an amazing giveaway and you should definitely jump on this. They've partnered with a group of companies to give away three prize bundles to chosen winners, each of them valued at over $2,300. This bundle is bananas. First off, it's the Scarlett 18i8 3rd Generation USB Audio Interface. It features four upgraded 3rd Generation Scarlett mic preamps, the switchable air mode I've mentioned earlier, two high headroom instrument inputs, eight line inputs. This thing is amazing. Then there's the Heil PR40 and PL2T boom arm. A free month of Squadcast. You guys know I love Squadcast. Plus 50% off the first two months. Simplecast. Again, another fantastic partner of the show. You get the first month free. Audio Mute, you get a $500 store credit and a free consultation. Hindenburg, a $95 store credit, enough for a journalist to be applied towards an upgrade. And Adam Audio is providing a pair of SP5 headphones. Last but not least, you get to pack it all up in your Namba Gear, Lil Namba Remix Backpack. This is a crazy, crazy, crazy kit. Make sure you sign up. I've created a special link. Go to podcastjunkies.com forward slash focus right promo. That's PodcastJunkies.com forward slash promo. What are you waiting for? Go sign up now. So last episode, I spoke to the one and only James Gridlin, host of Pod News and the editor of Pod News. It's one of the most widely read newsletters for the podcasting industry, and he gave a great overview of um, his radio and podcasting background, how he started the podcast, and where things are headed to now. And this was... Um, I think right before I was about to head to PodFest, so I think there was still some early talk about uh, coronavirus, but it's uh, how much has changed since that conversation. This week I speak to Taz Ahmed, one of the co-hosts of Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, and a shout out to Jay Connor who we mentioned, for introducing us. It's interesting because what you'll notice is that this is, uh, towards the end of the episode, Taz talks about how they're winding down the show, which is something interesting because we always think about people uh, podcasting forever, and it's funny how how they had that planned at the moment that they decided that was going to happen. So I appreciate coming on, talking about the state of the... Um, election process in this and and getting out the vote for uh, underrepresented communities. And it's a, we had a nice discussion about that as well. So all in all, just a really well-rounded conversation with Taz and um, I'm really glad we connected and you get to hear her story. Let's not forget that this episode is also brought to you by Fullcast. Fullcast Fullcast.co is the website. If you need help with any aspect of your show from launch to production and marketing, we can help. Schedule a free chat at fullcast.co forward slash chat 15 about your existing or new show. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag, but let's get to conversing with Taz. So Taz Ahmed, co-host of Good Muslim, Bad Muslim. Thank you for joining us on Podcast Junkies.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: So uh, I was excited to, to chat because we have a mutual friend, Jay Connor.
0: Yeah. He's my neighbor.
1: Is he? How close are you
0: guys? He's like across the street from me. It's kind of weird.
1: (laughs) We should have had him pop in. uh, I know.
0: He probably, he easily can.
1: (laughs) Uh, So for the benefit of the listener, I'd like to, I usually like origin stories to begin with. So let's start with Jay since it's the common thread here. (laughs) When did, uh, how did you guys connect?
0: You know, Jay and I met, I think, at the USC, we met at a podcast festival, actually, but I think we really connected at the USC, USC did a podcast festival, podcasting day, um, like a year ago. Uh, It's been kind of wild, because I've been podcasting as long as you have, it's been about five years now, and I just feel that there's like so many more places to connect with other podcasters than there were back when I started doing podcasting, and it's been really fun to be a part of this community.
1: Have you been part of other communities and have you noticed a difference? Because I, that's one of the first things people say, like people that come in from like business communities or photography communities, or it's like when they, when they meet the podcasting community, they really get a taste of how accommodating and supportive like everyone in the podcasting community is like, we all want each other to succeed. What's your experience been so far?
0: You know what I've been telling people? I've been saying that like podcasting is the new version of blogging. I used to blog for many, many years. I was blo- a blogger on CPM Mutiny, which was the largest South Asian American blog for a while. And I felt like in that community, everyone was everyone had their own blog. Everyone was just like writing about themselves and writing about common experiences. And I feel like that's what podcasting is now. Everyone who everyone who used to have a blog now has a podcast. And I mean, it's kind of silly, but also it's it's very supportive and kind of fun
1: so talk a little bit about your entry and um your relationship with your co-host uh, zara norbosh and, and what was the inspiration for starting your show
0: our show started because zara and i were both living in oakland and we were in this book called love inshallah we're both essay writers and we'd go on these book tours and then we would that's how we like got to know each other we'd go on these book tours and then we'd joke around and we'd have a lot of fun and then we were like, oh, this, this should be a podcast. And this was back when no one had podcasts, right? This was our, the book came out in 2012. So podcasts, we would, we would just like make fun of podcasts and it turned into kind of like a gag where on, on Twitter, we would tweet at each other and then we'd use the hashtag good Muslim bad Muslim and just make fun of the fact that like, you know, next time on the good Muslim bad Muslim podcast, we're going to talk about the burqa bikinis, just super facetious, super sarcastic. And our followers were just like, I tried to look for this podcast. I couldn't find it. And we were like, we were just totally making fun of it. This isn't like real. This isn't. And then Zara's a stand-up comedian. And she's yeah. like, everyone who's a stand-up comedian has a podcast. So I need a podcast. I was like, I don't want to learn another skill. I have a lot of skill sets. It's t- there's a lot of tech involved. I don't want to pick this up. So I kind of like hem and hod for like about a year and then Um, I was working at an organization where our our communications person was just like, I think you should start a podcast. And I was just like, I don't want to learn how to like cut tape. And he's like, I'll do it for you. So he volunteered his services to be the sound engineer. We were his first podcast. And now he's, you know, he left the job to go into the world of radio and has his own podcast now. Like it was a starting point for all three of us. And I feel like we just all really blossomed out of this experience.
1: Uh, what were some of the challenges early on, either with uh, you know coordinating your schedules or gear or any of that sort of stuff?
0: It was definitely like gear because I had no idea how to do any of the gear. So we we I got a Mac MacBook Pro, and we just used GarageBand. I borrowed a blue mic for my first for the first three years of the podcast, huh. and we just like recorded it on blue mics. Now now we have like a studio in LA and fancier setup but like people are always like why don't you have guests in the podcast literally the only time reason why we don't have guests is because we couldn't figure out how to set up a third mic (laughs) like it was just a two mic situation we could not figure out how to do one more and we're like this is it this is why we're gonna do this and then it just it kind of like worked for us um and like we did a couple of guests sometimes but we just really preferred the conversations we had with each other it got a little bit too hectic otherwise
1: Did you have a a format in mind or did you just kind of, were you thinking that you both were just going to riff and see what came out of it?
0: I'm not a riffer. Um, Zara's the comedian. I'm a political activist organizer. I don't do well with riffing. Uh, So I was the one that was like, we need an agenda. And she was just like, let's just talk. I was like, no, no, no. Like if we just talk, I'm not going to get a say in anything. So um, we have like a top three hot topics. So we do hot topics at the top of the hour. And then We wanted it only to be half an hour, but it keeps getting pushed into 45 minutes. And then the second half is a bunch of short segments. So we did, we declare fatwas, we do creeping sharias, we do awkward asking Muslims. Um, We just, we give out good Muslim awards. We just have like a lot of like, like quick, quick segments. Um, And that's been a lot of fun.
1: Was there anything else on this topic or just, uh, you know, uh, coming at it from the angle that you guys were when you when you launched?
0: No, no, we were the only ones. I, I don't like saying that because I feel like there's so many other like Muslim podcasts out there, but literally we were the only ones because it was 2014 Yeah, and no one was podcasting back then.
1: What's interesting is that you said you had uh, an engaged following on Twitter. So did they immediately like like flock to the show once they heard that you actually did have a podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah, I uh, we were able to. It's funny cuz I I had a background in doing PR. So people are like, "Oh, you you group, you blew up so fast, but there's a lot of work, behind the scene work that went into it because what I had did was I took our logo and then I blasted it on all the uh, in all the Muslimish groups on all the spaces, all mm. the nine spaces. Yeah. And we had we were on PRI doing our first interview before the release of our first episode. Wow. So we were able to launch really, really with a really big um audience from the get go. Like that's like a little bit behind the scene because it really does seem like we just kinda came out of nowhere and like hit the ground running. But there was a lot of like prep work behind that for sure
1: yeah i mean it's like what they say about uh luck it's really that's really when preparation meets opportunity
0: yeah and i think that like i when i talk to people coming up in podcasts i will not tell them to do what we did like i think everyone should just start a podcast and because very easy and accessible but i think at the time because zara and i had like a big following already we couldn't put out a shitty product we like actually had to put out like a like we had to go in really like really tight. Yeah. But that's not the advice I give to people. I think my advice to people is like just just do something. Just put something out there cuz like don't wait. Like every project ends and you can like start another one.
1: Yeah, especially with podcasters. Um most podcasters sit on their first episode. The most podcasters hate the sound of their voice. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, just put All it out stuff. there.
1: Have you inspired other other folks to start a podcast?
0: I I mean, I'm sure I'm sure we have. I don't want to be that magnanimous and say that we started a movement, (laughs) but yeah, there's like a lot of, we're we're friends with a lot of Muslim podcasts. We're friends with a lot of Brown podcasts. I'm a big fan of call your girlfriend Okay, and I love their shine theory behind their podcast, their philosophy of like, you know, shining light on other people, Mm -hmm. other women who don't usually get shine. So there's definitely, we do a lot of, um, sharing of spotlight basically.
1: You make it a point on the show in, in a description to clarify the distinction between what people consider a good Muslim and a bad Muslim. So yeah. what's been the response from the traditional Muslim community to the show? The traditional yeah.
0: Muslim community? Um, there, like At first there was like a lot of haters from, from inside the community. They were just like not, they were like, they just didn't like us. They didn't like us because no one, and I don't want to just say this about Muslims, but just generally in society, people don't like hearing women. Mm. And so like the fact that like we were two women speaking, we were two women of color that were just speaking about our lives. Like how dare we
1: Yeah.
0: and how, you know, how dare we not like fall into the fall under like what patriarchy is telling us to do. So, I mean, like, so I don't want to say that's like a Muslim community thing. Yeah. I think it's just like people don't like hearing women's voices and women's opinions
1: when did you start to realize that the show was getting some visibility? Because, I mean, if uh, in May of 2016, you were invited to speak or record or, or promote the show from the White House, which, I, which is pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. We recorded at the White House. I got an award from the Obama White House. So when I got the award, we made um, recording at the White House a thing. We were getting visibility from the get-go. Yeah. Like, we were on PRI, like... Yeah before the first episode so we were in like cosmopolitan we were in oprah magazine we were in wired like every all of the publicity we got was probably in our first three years now we're too old <laughs> like we've been around too long yeah. everyone only cares about the new or younger podcasts
1: <laughs> and do you have a lot of folks or younger people now asking you like how to start a podcast now because of the success that you guys have had
0: yeah. I mean, people ask us but like the field has changed so dramatically like our, our advice is obsolete. Yeah. It's so weird, you know, cuz cuz like my like we started on, you know, a MacBook and we just like posted through Squarespace, but now there's so many other tools out there that you don't even need need that like and it's funny cuz like when at, at the USC event like these students are going in communication school they're taking classes on podcasting. They're taking classes on how to like write narratives. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get any of that formal training. All of our training was like on the fly. So it was just one of those things where you're just like, we we have success, but like we we broke the ceiling so that you could have the resources you have. Don't, don't do what we did. Like use the resources that have been created for you. I have like zero advice.
1: <laughs> just start is basically the best one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just start. Just do something. There's no real way to do this.
1: And then in in uh, April 2017 you were um honored by the City of Los Angeles for an Asian Pacific American yeah. Heritage Month as activist of the year. That must have been pretty awesome as well.
0: Yeah, that was cool. That was fun. That was uh we got an award. Like it was in downtown LA in front of the city hall and mm. it was like a big like Asian American festival thing. Yeah. And I definitely have the award on my wall. <laughs> it's I mean like it's just like so silly to have this recognition certificate from the city of LA that's it's like Los Angeles city and it's on official paper. And it just says good yeah. Muslim, bad Muslim activism. And you're like, what? Like, how is this like, how is what I do? Like even able to be recognized in this way?
1: Talk a little bit about your background before you started podcasting. What, you know, what, what did you go to school for? And, and what were you working in at the I time? I did not go
0: to school for podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> I <didn't know> that. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. My background is I've been doing electoral engagement for 20 years now. Um, I started when I was, you know, in college, I went to USC down the street here in Los Angeles. I got a degree in environmental studies. I wanted to save trees, moved to DC and September 11th happened and uh, as a, you know, brown Muslim woman who participate since you know who's just like in the world like I knew that my life was going to change after 9-11 happened and I was working at this I was working at this organization like getting out the vote for environmental youth they're all like white hippie kids that were I was like building up like political power for white hippie kids and I was like no one's doing this for South Asian people no one's doing this for Muslim people so I quit that job after two years and I started a nonprofit called South Asian American Voting Youth to get out the vote for South Asians around the 2004 election cycle. So then I was like, started this nonprofit out of my, like I moved back home. I like used the computer that was in the kitchen. You know, I like started it basically out of my parents' kitchen. I was 24 at the time. And uh, we turned out thousands of voters that year. Uh, I just stuck to the field. I like got a master's degree in public policy at UCLA, the focus on racial justice. I went on to work at various Asian American organizations over the years, and turned out over five hundred thousand Asian Americans to vote over the course of my career. Right. And it's been a very interesting ride. You know, I think like that's like professionally what I do, but I think what has come out of that work is that my understanding of civic empowerment and civic engagement is really like, you can't just say, go vote. You need to like tie it to culture. You need to tie it to what's happening in pop news. You need to tie it to narratives. And that's really why I got involved in storytelling and in writing on blogs and you know, um, I'm an essayist. All my essays, writing, podcasting is all connected to how do we tell the stories of our community to empower our community and to get them civically engaged. And then like voting is like, not just about voting. Voting is about building community power. So it's like, if we can get people registered to vote and we can tell their stories and we can make people like feel safe to tell their stories and express themselves, then they'll be empowered. And I I think that's what I'm trying to do at the end of the day, whether it's podcasting, making art, making Mm -hmm. cards, whatever it is, it's it's like, how do we get community to feel good about themselves?
1: Is this something that you were taught or is this something you, like, observed or influenced by from your parents? Because to pick those types of majors and to go into that field of study, I'm curious, like, where where that influence came from.
0: I don't know. <laughs> My parents wanted me me to be a doctor. They didn't want me to, yeah. like, be an <laughs> activist. Are you kidding me? They wanted me to make, like, money. They're like... I remember my dad's like, so how come you don't have like a brand new car? Like that was like, he just wants like status symbols. So like this whole like, like they they didn't like put that on me. But like my parents were blue collar workers. You know, my sister like Mm -hmm. has asthma because we live by the freeway growing up. So like these um, public policy issues, like I saw how it affected my family. And I was like, I can't for people like my family, I can't not fight for them. So even though even if my like parents didn't understand why I was pursuing this career, like I I still like I was doing it for them, even though they didn't understand that I was doing it for them. Maybe like now there's a little bit more of understanding what I do. But I definitely definitely when I started definitely in my 20s, they were just like really like not down for it. They just wanted me to get get married and become a doctor.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm uh, I was. Uh, I'm Hispanic. I was born in El Salvador, and so like the same kind of thing, like the culture. Like, yeah, they want they want you in a suit, uh, wearing like if if you've got a nine to five job and you're wearing a suit, or you've got like a respectable job, then you've made it officially. You're right? So.
0: Yeah, like it was fine for th- for them. It was like that's good hobby, but like I was just like, this isn't a hobby. We have to shift society dramatically for change. This isn't going to be done if everyone just treats. The world is a hobby.
1: What's interesting about what you're doing is that a lot of times people feel like, "Oh, I'm just one person. Like, how much difference can I make?" And is that something that was not even a thought for you early on? You just realized that if you put you put enough passion into it, that you you were going to be able to make a difference.
0: I mean, I think when I was doing environmental organizing, I definitely felt like I'm just one person. There's nothing I can do. But then when I shifted into doing South Asian and Muslim organizing, I like I could literally count the people at the time I could count who was doing things. And I got really obsessed with just figuring out who who was in the movement. Then it really is like no one else is doing it. And if I don't do it, then no one else is going to do it. I still feel a lot of that. People are telling me not to feel that, but I still do feel that a lot.
1: When you had these conversations early on with people about the importance of voting, obviously there's a demographic there that, doesn't think that it's important Mm -hmm. again this this idea of like one vote what's what's my vote gonna do so what were some of the um the, the either the pushback or the conversations you were having with people early on when you were hitting the streets and talking to people about the importance of their vote
0: oh gosh i mean all kinds of pushback i think one of the things that i really focus my work on is that creating culturally competent materials and creating like materials that speak to people so one of the first things that I did was I made a sticker and then the sticker said, I'm South Asian and I vote. Mm. I mean, stickers were like what we did in the early two thousands. That was a tactic that we used. Kids these days are all about memes, but like stickers were like really big back then.
1: Stickers were the original memes.
0: Yeah. Seriously. (laughs) Like you would just hand them out. And so like, I would hand these stickers out and then people would see these stickers and they'd say like, Oh, I've never really, no one ever told me that I was a voter and that I, that like being South Asian could be connected to voting. Like I, what I was trying to do was just shift people's political consciousness to see themselves as political beings, not just brown people. I guess, and it was just kind of fun just to see like yourself on a sticker, in that kind of a way. And since then, I've been since then I've be, become more sophisticated in what I do outside of stickers. But it's always been about like how do we? This community isn't apathetic; it's just being ignored from the political process. Um, studies show that Asian Americans are. not assigned to a political party. And I feel like a big Mm. part of that is just because like political parties don't know how to talk to Asian Americans, which means their votes are up, you know, up to be catched. And the reason why they're not being catched is they're not being spoken to in their languages. They're not being given material that looks like them. They're not being spoken to at the Asian grocery store where they're shopping at. So like all these things are just like unique to our different communities. So that's kind of been the approach to all the voter work that I've been doing is just like, how do we shape this message so that our communities are being talked to like humans and that we are being talked to at their level that, I mean, that being said, like, I, I still get pushback from people that's, that are just like, I don't want to vote because it doesn't matter. Now it's like a little bit harder. Now I'm like less excited to convince people because I feel like there's so much out there. Yeah. We have Trump as president. We have like so many like people of color running for office. It's just one of those things where you're just like, like if you're not like opening up your eyes in this day and age to like what's happening around you, I I really don't know how to convince you to go vote. (laughs)
1: Do you think that the 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 wave we had in some of the recent elections of more women and even Muslims being elected to office did did that help what you were doing and and give Hell yeah people something something to point to and say look it is making a difference look look what's happening
0: yeah I mean I think when Obama got elected that was a really big deal I think one of the interesting things that that happened when in that campaign cycle in the 2008 campaign cycle was that whenever you would talk to anyone like anyone they would say like oh obama's just like me because he has a muslim father or he uh, uh like grew up as a in chicago or he was an organized like it was just funny like how obama's life was so latch-onable that no matter what race or ethnicity you were in america there was some part of his yeah. narrative that you could be like oh he's just like me
1: yeah which was really cool. American yeah. Or, no matter
0: yeah. what. <laughs> no matter what it was. Everyone's just like he's, smokers. <laughs> yeah. There was always something where like when you talk to someone, yeah. they're like, Oh, he's just like me. And you're just like, well, yeah, that's yeah. very interesting. And I think after Obama got elected, there was like this huge wave of like young uh people of color who had no experience that were running for office, which I also have some issues with because I feel like you need to have at least some like Uh, community involvement before you start running on behalf of a community. But there's like this huge wave of like people are running for office. And then like everyone kind of got like numb because things were so good with Obama and they like were stopped fighting and now Trump's in office. And then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. like you have all these women of color that ran for office, which is great. There is definitely like a fire under everyone's ass to be activated and organized, which is awesome. But Uh, this is going to be a tough election cycle for sure.
1: How has the work that you do changed since you said you started in 2004 and and you're still doing that that same type of work now?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I now work at an organization for my day job where we, we do digital organizing for the Asian American community. So I've always been doing work in the Asian American community. Um, What's changed over the years? I I think it's just really interesting to see how like how people grow. I don't know. Like, there's always like a new generation of people that that mm-hmm. never understood what happened before. So like when I organize now, when you organize young people, like if you organize someone who's like 21, they were like born in September 11th. So like the na- narrative around like post 9/11 backlash that doesn't really resonate with them. So it's it's really interesting just to see like, like this is an era of people who grew up with the Patriot Act. They don't understand what it's like not to have the Patriot Act. And it's a society of people who think surveillance is okay. Mm, Wow. And so just like those things are just like really interesting because you're just like, oh, like you literally don't know what it's like to not have that. And then the tactics are obviously different. Like the internet was not, around really when we started this work when i started savvy i i had to get a webmaster it was such a big deal to create a website like scanning an image was hard figuring that out now like i was able to do all of that on my own for good muslim bad muslim on squarespace it was easy i did it in two hours like that work was like yeah it was, I, I don't understand, I don't know how to tell people how hard it was to do things on the internet before.
1: You, you kids don't know, right?
0: You don't know. It's so easy. Now you just take pictures and post it immediately off your phone on a feed. You can do, sto- like all this stuff is just like, the technology is just making it so much more accessible. And that was like such, so auntie of me to like frame everything like that.
1: <laughs> well, that's, it's funny because it's, uh there's a, I think like a, a, a page or a website, like if you were born after this date um, and it keeps changing like every year, then then they start rattling off a, thing, a bunch of things that you wouldn't even know about. Like, you know, uh, you don't know what Atari was or Facebook was oh, yeah. or whatever it is, depending on it. So like things that we take for granted, like people, like to your point, like even people born after 9-11, like have no frame of reference for that.
0: None, modems, we had modems. We couldn't just connect to the internet. We needed to wait for the phone line to click. And then, like, if someone picked up the phone on the other end, then it would cut off your connection, lose your work.
1: I might have to uh, uh, splice in a, find a a loop or a sample of one of that modem sounds. Yeah. Because just so people know exactly what we're talking about, because you just have to sit there waiting um, Waiting. for that to connect.
0: It was so annoying. It was so annoying. (laughs)
1: And images would load. It would be like one bar. Yeah, one bar at at a time. time.
0: (laughs) You're just like, what is happening? No text messaging?
1: No. Nope. Speaking of text messaging uh, and new technologies, I was – uh, briefly supporting, uh, Marianne Williamson for this, in this last round and just yeah. working with the, with the campaign and she recently dropped out. But it was interesting to see what some of the, the new tactics that were being used for campaigning. Um, there was a, a tool called ResistBot. It's like an SMS service and you could send, I don't know if you've used it before, but it was, it was, it's interesting. Like, do you find that the the types of tools that are available now make engagement and make, I think there's a website where you can immediately like text the response or, and it'll send a form letter to your Senator or something Mm -hmm. like that. So there's a lot of great services that make connecting with our representatives much, much easier.
0: Yeah. it's, It's really fun actually. Uh, that's what my organization, 18 million rising, we do, um, petitions. So we have like, we we do petitions to corporations. We also do it to people elected in office. We have a call tool so, to make it easier for members to call our congressperson. Um, I'm really interested in, we, we've we dabbled in text messaging. We haven't like jumped fully into it. I think text messaging is where we're moving. I have spent the bulk of my career doing phone banks. So we'd call people, we'd have a phone room and then people would just call. But no one's picking up phones anymore. So that's one of the (laughs) biggest issues with doing these phone bangs. So we have to get creative talking to people because if they're not answering the phone, then we have to text message them. But there's all these laws that are preventing us from just blanket text messaging people. So we need to, people are being creative. So I think the creative part has been really interesting. I don't know what other technology is out there, but I think like every two years there's like something new and you're just like, okay, is this gonna work? Let's see. And it's kind of fun, I guess. Like it's like the market is constantly shifting. So you have to shift with that and see and see what people are using. What I'm interested in is that when it comes to the Asian American community, mm-hmm. they're um more likely to use like tools like WhatsApp or Viber. Like the Chinese community has a version of WhatsApp that's just for their community. Mm. And so I'm really curious how we can start Sending like get out the vote messages in language through these apps, which I don't think anyone's really thinking about in these communities. They're just on these in these like really weird groups, and family chains, and whatever, and WhatsApp. And you're like, that's how people are communicating. So how do we get in there with our tactics?
1: How about folks that are, or or a younger generation that's actually coming in and volunteering or choosing this type of work as a career, do you, you consistently see people still interested in, in, you know, helping with get out the vote initiatives and, and, and supporting these types of underserved communities?
0: I think yes and no. I I think there's always going to be an interest in political engagement. I think having someone like AOC winning, she's only 29, right? Like she's a youth herself. I think like young people seeing that they can have that kind of a difference is definitely definitely people are still feeling engaged and empowered. But I would say that a lot of the nonprofits that are doing that this work are just not getting funded through foundations, which is just the unfortunate thing of being in the nonprofit
1: world. And do you see it really driven by who's in office at the time? I mean, is that what motivates people? A little and, bit, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there is, but I think also just... I think it's also, like, where you're at in the U.S., like, how how accessible is, like, local politics, too. I think, I mean, like, I'm in L.A., and, like, people in L.A., like, our state assembly members in California will work for the state in Sacramento, then they'll come and work for city council, which is not the route that you take in other states. Other states, do you work for city council, then you go to state assembly. Because L.A. is so big, like... And we have, so, like, it's it's kind of like a cel- celebrated status to be on city council in L.A. County, in L.A. City. So it's just kind of like my context for political power is just kind of skewed. We have, like, 4 million people in the city of Los Angeles, mm. so, which is, like, you know, bigger than some states in this yeah. country. So my idea of power is a little bit different.
1: Have you ever had aspirations yourself for running?
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I was, like... I picked USC and UCLA because I was like, okay, these are like local uh, colleges so it'll give me, um, you know, people will see me and they'll know that like I'm a local person. And then I was the campaign manager for my friend. Um, I moved to Oakland. She ran for Oakland City Council. Um, She was like a Korean American woman. She was 27 at the time. Mm -hmm. I think I was like 31 at the time as her campaign manager. Um, It was a small race. We were trying to like turn out I think we had to like to win we had to like turn out like 5,000 voters it was like a 12,000 voter district or something and it was so hard she had to be so nice all the time like people would be rude to her and she would just have to be nice and I'm not a nice person I guess I thought (laughs) I was until I had to do this someone walked into the campaign office they said something super Islamophobic it was um and I didn't know how to respond to that I think I responded rudely, is what happened. And in that moment, I was just like, I could never run for office. I could never have my personal life be skewered like this. Cause that's what ends up happening. And yeah. I've said too many terrible things on the internet. Um, and it will come back to haunt me. Now I now I know I can't run for office. Like the things I've said on good Muslim, bad Muslim, I think that's also kind of why I went like so vocal is like I after I decided I'm never running for office and I was just like oh I guess I can have a podcast now I guess I can you know yeah. be very public with my essays and be very vulnerable I mean but like I mean you were like working for Marianne Williamson right like I feel like she's very just
1: volunteering yeah
0: but yeah. she's like very vulnerable and stuff I mean she made it pretty far
1: yeah, and she was getting roasted as well. Like, I mean, the stuff that they were saying, just in Twitter and stuff, it was just like, wow. Like, I mean, all she's talking about is like positive, high vibe stuff, right? They're painting her like a like a crystal fairy, like.
0: <laughs> like, like yeah, a, the internet I mean, is she, mean.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely have to have thick skin, and I think, um, obviously, you mentioned AOC, like what you've seen, like the what the heat that she's taken has been pretty crazy. So uh, much heat as well. Yeah
0: it's wild i don't like i think there are some people that can i think i would just be i'm just better as a campaign manager i would rather just take that seat versus like being in the public like that i'm okay being in the public like this but like i'm not Mm -hmm. trying to you know win votes
1: (laughs) do you think it's more challenging now because of the visibility and you mentioned like thinking about early on i remember like a, a girl i dated a long time ago she had aspirations this is back in like Late night, uh, night, I think mid nineties or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely dating myself, but she had aspirations to, I think, run for office in the future. She really knew that she wanted to, so she wouldn't let like people take pictures of her.
0: Right. And yeah. This is
1: back with like regular cameras, but now between like people, there's stories of people like not getting jobs because of like people, companies checking out Facebook histories and stuff like that. It's, it's almost virtually impossible to not be under public scrutiny from the moment yeah. you come online.
0: Absolutely. And like as a Muslim, we're hyper surveilled, right? Like NSA is always watching us. So like the, in some ways, there's no escaping it. But at the same time, I don't know, we we need, we can't just like give up our privacy so easily. You know, we have to like fight for at least a little bit of our our freedom.
1: Yeah. What keeps you going and to, to to keep doing the work you're doing because you've been doing it for such a long time? So I, I know there's moments we might get discouraged, but what is it that that keeps you working on this as 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 your passion?
0: I don't know. i'm at a, I'm going through a period of discouragement right now. <laughs> it's definitely having friends around that like tell you that like you're doing good definitely helps. Ha- i mean i'm I'm really sad we're that we're gonna be ending our podcast. We've had a five year run we're recording our last episode in February, uh, actually in two weeks, it's going to be done. And I'm like, like both relieved, but like it definitely fueled me for these past five years. Like being able to experience a microaggression and then like go on the podcast and talk about it with Zara was really great. So it was like, that part was really cool to to have like an outlet where I could like vent and talk about different issues that were upsetting me, which is, you know, yeah, i mean that's what our, our podcast was like anytime there was something happening in society there's a hate crime there was um mm-hmm. you know if from something as light as a burka bikini to something as dark as muslims getting murdered we would always yeah. cover cover it and that but having that outlet like definitely helped fuel me wanting to do this work and you know like comments and letters from our readers for all the things that i do was super helpful to know that you're like making change in someone's life. Always kind of keeps you going.
1: When did you and Zara start to talk about the show having like a like a, an end and that you were going to wrap it up f- after five years?
0: We started doing it this year. Yeah, we gave us our we gave ourselves a one year runway, which is like the length of a lot of regular podcasts. Like podcasts have like a lifetime of like six months. They say. Yeah, we. Never took a break. We've been consistent uh as a monthly podcast, which is also like most um most podcasts will do seasons and they'll take a break and yeah. then they'll come back. Yeah. Um but we've been like we haven't like stopped once. We stopped we did like a rerun episode when I got into a car accident the day, like I was going driving to the studio. And then I was just like, I can't do I can't speak on this. But that was like And then we did like, I think that was it. That was our only rerun episode.
1: Do you remember like when was the moment where, because, you know, up to year three or something, you guys are churning out episodes month after month. What was the conversation? Do you remember the conversation when you and Zara said, hey, I think we need to think about when when we might want to wrap this up? It's It's helpful because you know a lot of podcasters yeah. listen too because they always think everyone thinks like, oh, I started a show, so it's now indefinite. I've got to do it forever, like yeah, and it's not, yeah, you know, some people do like you said, short seasons and then every and, and like everything else, everything has a life cycle, right?
0: yeah, I think i I think um we had we definitely had like a really huge like make or break moment at month six of the podcast. It was just taking a toll on both of us, so. We recentered, and we were like, "Okay, what are we trying to get out of this podcast?" Um, she, as a comedian, was trying to get audience for her comedy. I, as an activist, was trying to, um, and and a writer, like I was trying to, like we both wanted to get book deals. I was trying to get like attention for my activism, and she wanted to do get attention for her comedy too. So because of that, we actually didn't create social media for Good Muslim, Bad Muslim. We only have the website. We were trying to traffic. Mm. People to both of our individual sites which was I think very smart of us to do that because now that we're ending the podcast we're still able to keep our followers on our own personals
1: which I'm sure you built up over we the built up of the, yeah. yeah
0: and um, we're not losing it I've been a lot of, a part of a lot of projects where we created um social media assets and then once the project ended we lost all of the assets That's a good point yeah because it was gone and then like once we had that like mission that we were like, going to do this for ourselves we we like that was kind of what was guiding me is just like okay we're going to keep doing this for as long as as long as uh we're able to fulfill those missions um, we we created an llc in year 3 uh, we were really trying not to create an llc for a long time cuz we didn't want that but to get a check from audio boom who's does our ads for us oh yeah they they needed like uh, an LLC. So we had to create one. And then, gosh, I don't even remember what happened. And it was like January of like 2018. And I I, I for sure was the one that was just like, I, I'm really tired. I don't want to do this anymore. And then it took Zara a little while to get on board. She, she decided after I did. Um, and I think one of the great things about, I've been a part of so many projects that just kind of like fizzle out. And um I didn't want this to fizzle out. I wanted to celebrate the end of our our product. And I, I think one of what what I love about our decision to end was that And for the last four episodes, we used completely different formats than we've used in other projects. So mm-hmm. our November episodes, Zara and I produced produced stories. For our Christmas episode, we both created fiction stories and we had our friends read it. We we cast Cast it, and we just you know sound effects and stuff we're doing a fun live show for our last show we're going to celebrate it so that feels really good like it feels good to like end it in this kind of like really special way and zara brought up a really great point that like when people listen to your podcast are usually going to work backwards so mm. i was like yeah like if we're going to end it here we better make the last few ones the best yeah. so that like as people work backwards they can like you know they can hear the be- our best work through the show
1: and when you agreed and you were both on the same page about winding it down, is that when you started communicating to your listeners as well?
0: no we we waited a couple months okay we we talked to um our friends first, and then we announced it in one podcast, but I don't know we've lost a, I don't know if we've lost a lot of listeners, but we've just been around for so long. Like when we first started and we would talking to people, they're like, oh, I listen to every single show and now the market's just very crowded. So like they're not listening to every single show, even though we're a monthly show, they're not listening to everything. So we did announce it on our podcast, but then I still have a lot of friends that are texting me now saying like, oh, you're ending the show. I was like, we announced it six on the episode six months ago. We've been talking about it for the past six months. So that's when you know that the project's done, right? Like when you lose like your your favorite, your biggest fans are like, oh I haven't listened to it in the past six months. You're just like, okay, well I'm not ready to create content that's not being listened to. <laughs> well,
1: it's the nature of uh, podcasting and the fact that there's eight hundred thousand shows on yeah. Apple Podcasts. It's just there's so much competition for people's attention now, and everyone so much competition. Everyone's starting a show.
0: Everyone wants a new thing. Yeah, I think I think the other thing that Zara and I had been toying with was like a rebranding. Like we could have easily just taken a re- break, rebranded, found like another producer to kind of produce us, and then to go. Which we're not still, we're not opposed to that. It's just like we tried and we don't want to, we just don't want to be DIY anymore. Five years of being a DIY podcast Mm. is way too long. Yeah, And it's, you know, the podcasting world, there's so much money in the podcasting world right now. And so many people are like, we were the first Muslim podcast. Yeah, there's all these other Muslim podcasts that are getting paid way more than we are. And that are being able to access like so many resources than we are. But that's because they're newer and we're older and we're not able. So, you know, like all that stuff is just kind of like I'm I'm not leaving the podcasting world. I would love to start a new podcast. I'm incubating a new one for 18 million rising where we're going to be doing like Asian American stuff. Zara is incubating a new one. Like we're we're like not leaving. Yeah, Yeah, we're just ending this project and starting new ones. Honestly, like one of the things that I really regret not doing with Good Muslim, Bad Muslim is that because we were so DIY, we could only have the format that we did, which is the the girlfriend's podcast, as I call them, yeah. like where two girls okay. are talking. And I don't listen to those kinds of podcasts. So like it's just kind of silly to me. I did when I first started listening to podcasts. But at this stage in my podcast listening, I love narrative. I love yeah. highly produced podcasts. I love um, fiction podcasts. I was listening to the Gaslight podcast mm. yesterday, okay. Moonface. You know, like I love like how the heart produces their their shows. I love like creative, you know, sound. Yeah, like immersive, immersive yeah.
1: theater of the mind type stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I we, as a good Muslim, bad Muslim, we didn't have the resources to do that. And our, we, our sound engineer didn't have the skill sets. We didn't have the time. We didn't have the, you know, funders. So, like, I I don't know. Like, I'm happy. Like, I'm proud of good Muslim, bad Muslim. But I'm excited to move into that other world of, like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how do we do radio theater? How, yeah. How do you do immersive, like, sound? I, I've mm-hmm. never taken a class on that. Like, I would love to figure out how you play with sound. And, like, I love that, like, the Heart Podcast, like, does, like, almost asmr style podcasting where it's like so quiet and you're just like okay yeah but even then like i was listening to the heart which is now mermaid palace and they were talking about how they transitioned their hosts because they were like super burnt out and i was like oh yeah yeah, this is like i guess when you have something that's been around for so long like it's not just good muslim bad muslim that's burnt out it's just everyone like is trying to figure out like how to change how they do things and like shift it it's really fascinating
1: yeah, because listeners' uh, tastes change as well. Because when they first come in, they they consume everything they can, like new yeah. podcasters. They like they listen to every podcast and get their hands on. But then when they find other like a specific genre that they resonate with, like you know, like the Gimlet produced shows, yeah, you know, like the the real like audio dramas, um, serial that sort of stuff. Like they, they really kind of get. Then they find out, like, what, what specific genre... What they is like, what... yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Like, all the crime podcasts. Like, I had no idea crime podcasts were so big. And now, like, it's huge.
1: I still don't get it. <laughs> 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 I mean, the, the the amount of them and that there's so many is just what's just bananas. It's and bizarre. I've listened to a couple, and they're, they're kind of depressing, too. So I don't know <laughs> how people can...
0: I like the crime podcasts that are, narr- like, produced narratives. But the yeah. I, I think the biggest crime podcasts that are out there are or like the girlfriend style, where it's just like two women talking about crime.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. I
0: don't understand that at all. Like, I don't get it.
1: Like criminal, That's right? A I think is me. one of one, yeah. those. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're still continuing in the podcasting space, because I mean, to your point, you guys were, were pioneers for you know, covering a, a a topic that not a lot of I mean, a lot of people were addressing. So mm-hmm. and I think you've learned a lot along the way in terms of what works, what not what's not, but also being honest with yourselves about um when it's time to, to hang it up and, and move in a different direction.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I and we're definitely gonna we're gonna keep the feed open as yeah. most podcasts do. So if when we do something new, we'll definitely yeah you know share it with our listeners. Like Gimlet, but, does,
1: like, Gim, like Gimlet does, they just keep that feed open in case they yeah in pe- startup they, they just drop new show promos every now and
0: then. Yeah, there's. I mean, we have so many followers; like it's too valuable yeah. to give that one up. Yeah, but we'll. We're just ready to try new things. And
1: it's a good brand, too. I mean, I am i wouldn't be surprised if somewhere down the lines someone expressed an interest in, in that as well. Because I, there's a, maybe a, a new wave of co-hosts could, you know, could come in and, and, and refresh the show. And it's still kind of you own the brand. Yeah, possibly. Maybe, yeah, yeah. That'd be interesting.
0: We do have it as a business.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> put, put the call out there for talent. You know, because you've got new people coming up and like these digital natives and millennials who just want to get involved and just say, hey it's a new, it's season. I don't know if you did seasons before, but this could be season two, where it's just like a whole new fresh set of hosts. Right. Yeah. (laughs) See what happens.
0: Everyone wants to start their own thing. No one wants to like jump on someone else's product. We're in an era. We're in an era where everyone's like trying to like be their own, which isn't bad. It's just, I think it'll be tough, but you know, we're going to keep it open. So who knows?
1: Yeah. Uh, A couple of questions as we wrap up, what's something you've changed your mind about recently?
0: Oh, interesting. Um I don't know i am I'm, I'm going back and forth on the power of voting. I think that that might be a big one, just because we were just talking about elections.
1: That's a big one, yeah.
0: It was a big one, considering I spent twenty year career doing electoral engagement. I'm going back and forth on like i I don't know if I'm going back and forth on the power of voting, but I'm just definitely going back and forth on how how powerful voting is right now.
1: Mm, Interesting. What's the most misunderstood thing about you?
0: Uh, You know, what I went to immediately is that people always ask us like, who's the good Muslim and who's the bad Muslim when it comes to the podcast. And I'm so annoyed by that question. And I feel like that's the most misunderstood thing about me is that this idea that like, like we exist in this dichotomy of good and bad. And the whole point of us calling it good Muslim, bad Muslim was so that we could talk about, the gray zone of being both, and how, like, mm-hmm. depending on where you are in society, you're considered good or bad. Um, so I would say, despite having a year, despite having five years working on this show talking about what is both good and bad, that people still have that perception is kind of annoying.
1: <laughs> well, well, Taz, I want. Thank you for taking some time out to uh, come on the show. I'm glad Jay connected us. I'm glad we yeah. got to tell, tell the story. It's fascinating to hear uh, how early on you were recording and, and publishing on a topic where you're basically first, you know, first movers in there. So I applaud you for like all the work you've oh, done thanks. for the community.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been it's been a it's been a wild roller coaster. So I'm looking forward to having a little break before jumping into the next big thing.
1: So where's the best place for folks to listen to the show? And obviously, since the feed's going to be open, they'll be able to, to stay updated with what's happening next.
0: Yeah. With you. Good Muslim, bad Muslim. Sometimes you need the hashtag. Hashtag good Muslim, Muslim. Okay. Sometimes you don't need the hashtag. Uh, we're goodmuslimbadmuslim.com where you can follow our stuff. And for myself, you can visit tazistar.me, mm-hmm. which is my website. So I, I sometimes update it. And then at tazistar on all of the socials.
1: And we'll make sure we have all those links in the show notes as well to make it easy for folks to connect with you guys.
0: Yeah. Uh, do listen to our last episode. Ex- yeah. I, it should be a lot of fun. We have some surprises.
1: Yeah. And then uh, send me a note when it's ready because we'll, I'll, I'll promote it as well to my audience. Uh, yeah. folks to and it might be a first-time listen for some folks, but <laughs> it's it's definitely entertaining for this uh, for the episodes that I listen to as well. So I yeah, definitely invite the listener to check it out.
0: Work backwards.
1: well thanks again and uh, best of luck in, in your future projects as well so thanks to Taz for showing up on the podcast and telling us the story of good Muslim, bad Muslim and like I mentioned it's so much fun to hear podcasting folks who were doing it early because there was challenges in how in everything from gear to equipment to websites that a lot of podcasters now take for granted with something like anchor.fm so i'm glad she got to tell that story and it's been interesting because this is the first time where we actually talk about a show that has an intention of wrapping up which uh, you know some people just want to keep podcasting in perpetuity but i think the realities of things are that Everything has a cycle, and so uh, I, I, I like how they were planning it uh, a year away from it so they could figure out how to end gracefully and in style, so that's really nice. So just a reminder, uh, as I did at the top of the show, uh, please stay safe. Uh, I think the self-quarantine is a, is a great thing in order to help us get through this as quickly as possible, and I uh, just want you all to stay safe. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Don't forget to support our sponsor, right and the new 3G Scarlet 2i2 line, which I personally love. Head on over to podcastjunkies.com forward slash right promo. They're giving away $2,300 in gear, so don't miss that. Podcast production and marketing provided by fullcast.co. Stay tuned for next week's episode, where I have a great conversation with Danielle Desir. She's founder of the Women of Podcasting group. And it's an amazing story about how starting from a simple idea and a, a Twitter group, she grew it into the group that it is it is now, which is, uh, it's great. And we connected at a podcast, um, move, no, we connected at she podcasts. I'm getting all these podcasting conferences uh, confused. And if you made it this far, you're no doubt awaiting the retention hashtag. Let's go with hashtag MuslimTaz, M-U-S-L-I-M, capital T-A-Z. And you can tag her at Tazzy Star, T-A-Z-Z-Y-S-T-A-R, and us at podcast underscore junkies. Take care of yourselves. I love you for supporting the show, and we'll meet again next week.